say it's true But some of us have smelled your rose perfume Johanna, Johanna, are you really here? Looking for your lover after all these years Johanna, Johanna, are you really here? Has your lover returned after all these years? Spookiest of greetings to each and every one of you. As usual, those cool tunes you just heard are courtesy of my good friend Bobby Mackey, and I'm your host, Tessa Morrow. The two men stare each other down. They're on Allen Street. It's a hot day in Tombstone, Arizona. Sweat beating up and falling rapidly from both men. It's 112 degrees, but that doesn't phase them in the slightest. They stand there, eyeing each other's every move the slightest move, as if their lives depend on it. One man moves rapidly, grabs a six-shooter, and fires with success. The other man goes down in a half a second, boots hitting the ground. Boot Hill Many cemeteries have this name. Back then, many were killed with their boots on. And I must say, as a teen, I was always fascinated with places like that. In fact, my mom one time had been to Tombstone. And how dare her not bring me, right? (laughs) But she was there and she had seen this booklet about Tombstone Cemetery. And she got it for me. And it talked about the people buried there and how they died and their story and where you could find them at Boot Hill. And I must have read that thing throughout the years a hundred times. I'm not even exaggerating. I kept it on my bookshelf with all my other books. And just every once in a while, I'd pick it up and read through it and stuff. Even before I started investigating the paranormal, it's a place that I always wanted to go to. Clearly, <laughs> As a two-year-old child, I screamed to mommy to let me walk in the graveyards. And it's only natural this kiddo who's obsessed with burial grounds should want to go to a town called Tombstone. Back in 2016, I finally got to go. You know, this as I mentioned it in past episodes, and it is during this trip that I went to several spots in Tombstone, including Watton Tarbell Mortuary, an active location that I did an episode on quite a while back. Boot Hill is the first stop I made among many on that fateful day, and it would prove to be the most active, as it is here that I got my attachment, and you can hear all about that on some of the earlier episodes. I believe it's episodes three and four. It's a two-parter, if you will. Boot Hill, a place where some of the wildest outlaws from the old Wild West are buried. Founded in 1878, This cemetery is home to many, such as the Bisbee Five, or really six, with mastermind John Heath, responsible for the Bisbee Massacre, the murderers Dan Dowd, Dan Kelly, Bill Delaney, Tex Howard, Red Sample, they were legally hanged in Tombstone at the courthouse. The latter, Red Sample, well, you know what, that son of a gun made my life a living hell. He truly did. Honestly, you guys, if you haven't listened to episodes three and four, it's a two-parter. Like I said, before listening to this one, you should rewind and go listen to those. Many others are buried here, and we will dive more 
into that throughout this episode. It got to be a staggering 118 degrees that summer day. I visited each grave doing several sessions along the way, and some of those EVPs I collected, they just blew my mind. And actually, haha, September 18th through the 20th, I returned back to this amazing place along with my boyfriend and my dear friend Angie. If you're around, maybe we'll run into one another, have a beer, investigate a little, and I will be bringing flowers as a promise I made a long time ago to Red Sample, a peace offering for leaving me the hell alone. Now, as you probably know, most of the people buried here in this old West Cemetery are murderers, outlaws, gunslingers, gunfighters, lawmen, prostitutes, and what have you. Quite the bunch. Many suicides, hangings, shootings, and stabbings have led these folks to call Boot Hill their forever home. The body count here is kind of unknown, actually. There are well over 200 burials. However, many immigrants were buried here, but without record. And some of the tombstones have kind of disintegrated throughout time. As you approach the cemetery, there's a sign that I just absolutely love that reads, No guns, please! Graveyard is full. When I came to Arizona four years ago, I honestly didn't think I'd have time to investigate at all. So I had left all my equipment home. It was kind of more like a trip to go see my grandma who had to go to the hospital and have surgery. So really, I just had my recorder with me. Always have that bad boy on me as if my life depends on it. And in addition, I had my mail meter as well, but everything else was left behind in Colorado. Now, as you walk through the sea of tombs at Boot Hill, some catch your eye, like Stinging Lizard shot by Cherokee, or Here Lies George Johnson, Hanged by Mistake, 1882. He was right, we was wrong, but we strung him up and now he's gone. And then, of course, there's Rook, shot by Chinaman. Then there's kind of a neat one I like that has a cool epitaph. In memory of Frank Bowles, born August 5th, 1828, died August 26th, 1880. As you pass by, remember that as you are, so once was I, and as I am, you soon will be. Remember me. Now, as I start my investigation I read the first tombstone I come upon. The inscription reading, Three Finger Jack Dunlop, shop by Jeff Milton. After I read this out loud, my recorder captures a moan, followed by the EVP of a man asking, See it? And I guess before we dive into these EVPs and evidence and what have you, I need to just say that, no, this wasn't a private investigation. Yes, it was open to others. However, it was 118 degrees and a lot of people weren't sticking around. I don't think they were like me, where as a kid for several years, this was one of your destination spots and you kept reading up on it and you didn't care if it was 200 freaking degrees, you were going to stay. A lot of these people, they were coming in and leaving like right away. And the thing is, is that every time somebody would kind of come close to where I was, I would just stop pause and start up again. And so if you don't have a place to yourself, you kind of have to do that sometimes, you know, it's not like I'm going to say, oh, it's open. I'm leaving. I'm hitting the bricks, you know, 
And of course, you're not famous. So of course, they're not going to give you the place willingly. So you kind of got to do what you got to do. And uh, I'm happy that I did because the solo investigation proved to be pretty phenomenal for me. And again, of course, I'm debunking things. If I hear somebody in the background talking, I'm going to say, hey, so-and-so's talking or a sneeze or whatever, you know. So anyways, I asked Three Finger Jack if he's still mad at the fact that Jeff Milton killed him. The same man replies asking, what happened? And of course, at the time, I'm not hearing any of these. I proceed to ask him why Milton murdered him. What happens next is actually kind of amazing to me. My recorder captures a sound that I could only describe as horses' hooves hitting on the ground as if running. A man is then recorded saying he robbed. He robbed. This is amazing because Three Finger Jack Dunlop was not a refreshing walk in the park. In fact, he was quite the outlaw back then, and he was a train robber. The date is February 15th, the year 1900. It proves to be a fatal day for train robber Dunlop. That day, three-fingered Jack and his gang of robbers target the Fairbanks train. Bad choice. Three-fingered Jack was about to meet his match. For lawman, Jeff Milton was on board, standing guard. He took his job very seriously, and he was damn good at what he did. And he was ready, and he was prepared for anything. And when he saw what was taking place, a gunfight occurred. This results in Dunlap being shot. Milton also gets hurt during this exchange, but he continues to fight hard. No way on his watch are these band of thugs completing this heist. The gang of train robbers abandoned. They fled. They did not leave empty-handed, though. They managed to grab $10,000. Shit, to me, that's a lot of money right now. But this is in 1900. Today, that $10,000 is worth 308,453 buccarinos, some change. Jack Dunlop was not doing good. At this point, he's trying to escape the law. But it's hard to do this when you have been hit with 11 pellets. That's right, folks. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. What? Eleven. Eleven pellets. Try as he might, he fails. He falls off of his horse. And in that spot, he will lay for 14 grueling hours. He's finally apprehended by a posse and he dies nine days later on February 15th. So to me, those EVPs are pretty special and rather accurate. First of all, the horse hooves. I've mentioned this before, but when investigating, I debunk everything I'm able to. So if I heard horses in the background, this animal lover would have noticed and I would have said something about it. No sounds like this whatsoever were heard by my ears. And the fact that he was on his horse evading authorities at the time before his death. And furthermore, the EVP, he robbed. He was indeed a train robber. And while his last job might have failed big time, he has been successful in the past. So did the EVP, I must ask, he robbed, 
come from none other than Three Finger Jack Dunlop himself, talking of the third person he robbed? Or was it the lawman who took him down, Jeff Milton, he robbed? Either way, it was a great start to a fantastic investigation. I move on to someone else. Charlie Storms, shot by Luke Short. And I ask how he feels about that. And a man is recorded whispering, hate it. This is all I get from this small session, but I want to talk a little bit about Charlie Storms real quick. When I go to Tombstone here in September, which this will be playing through your eardrums while I'm there, we'll be staying in the historic San Jose house. And the room we are in is named after Charlie Storms. So I thought it might be neat to talk a little bit about the man. Who knows, maybe I'll be able to communicate with him further. And if I do... I will let you guys all know with a bonus episode. So Charlie Storms, he was a skilled gunman. He traveled through the Old West, gambling to his heart's content. Leadville, Virginia City, Dodge City, and and Deadwood, to name just a few. In fact, when Wild Bill was murdered in Deadwood, it is believed that Storms was there. And it's even rumored that he stole one of the now-dead Hickok's pistols as a souvenir. This has never been proven. One February evening in 1881, Charlie Storms was drinking. No shock there. He was heard by many by making rude remarks to the Oriental Saloon's pharaoh dealer, Luke Short. Now, Charlie Storms, he was a very confident man when it came to gunfights. He was very skilled indeed, but... Just like Three Finger Jack, Charlie is about to meet his match. One person to bear witness to this event was Bat Masterson. This is what he was quoted saying about Charlie Storms in that night. Charlie Storms was one of the best known gamblers in the entire West and had on several occasions successfully defended himself in pistol fights with Western gunfighters. Charlie Storms and I were very close friends, as much as Luke Short and I were. And for that reason, I did not care to see him get into what I knew would be a very serious difficulty. Storms didn't know, Short, and like the bad man in Leadville had sized him up as an insignificant-looking fellow whom he could slap in the face without expecting a return. Both were about to pull their pistols when I jumped between them and grabbed Storms, at the same time requesting Luke not to shoot, a request I knew he would respect if it was possible without endangering his own life too much. I had no trouble in getting Storms out of that house, as he knew me to be his friend. When Storms and I reached the street, I advised him to go to his room and take a sleep, for I then learned for the first time that he had been up all night and had been quarreling with other persons. I was just explaining to Luke that Storms is a very decent sort of man, when lo and behold... There he stood before us, without saying a word, and at that same time pulling his pistol. Luke stuck the muzzle of his pistol against Storm's heart and pulled the trigger. The bullet tore the heart asunder, and as he was falling, Luke shot him again. Storm's was dead when he hit the ground. George Goodfellow, the town's physician, happened to witness the event as well. He was just a few feet away. Short was arrested for Storm's murder, Masterson testified, saying it was indeed self-defense, and Short was released. 
You may hear a bonus episode in the future again, folks, if I indeed do get some results while trying to communicate with not only Charlie Storms, but also any of the other Tombstone Spirit residents. Another spirit I tried communicating with, where I got some interesting results, was Seymour Die. His tombstone reads, Seymour Die, killed by Indians. I asked Seymour, hey, you know, were you doing something that you maybe shouldn't have been doing? Where these Indians had no choice, but they felt like they had to shoot you. Unexplained static is recorded following an EVP of a man saying, shot him, Seymour. Not Seymour, but Seymour. Shot him, Seymour. The year was 1882. Woodcutters Seymour Dye and Harry Cutter were simply, and sadly, in the wrong place at the wrong time. This day in particular, they were in the middle of transporting hay when they were ambushed by Indians. They were indeed shot, just like the EVP claims. And after being shot, they fell from their wagon and then were horrifically dragged for at least 150 feet. Is this EVP coming from an Indian who was part of the ambush or somebody who witnessed this crime taking place? It's very, very chilling. I got goosebumps when I heard that EVP, I'm not going to lie. Next up, I try to communicate with Florentino Cruz, also known as Indian Charlie. His bullet-riddled body was found, and many believe that Wyatt Earp and his boys were responsible. No, they weren't out looking for trouble or bloodshed. Word is that Indian Charlie was behind the murder of Wyatt's younger brother, Morgan Earp. After a long day in the Arizona heat, the man wanted nothing more than to enjoy a nice cold beer with his brothers and friends. A few rounds of billiards. Heavy smoke is in the air from cigarettes and cigars. People, they're laughing, drinking, and what have you. When suddenly an unknown assailant walks through that door and guns down the young man. The shots that went through Morgan Earp's body proved to be very much fatal, entering the body just to the left of the spinal column and emerging around the gallbladder. Wyatt was among the people there to witness his brother's horrific and senseless murder. Brother, husband, friend, soldier, sheriff, deputy U.S. Marshal, the man of many talents, Morgan Earp, is dead and he would later be buried in Doc Holliday's blue suit. So when I asked Indian Charlie what he has to say for himself and his actions, I wasn't surprised when a man's voice revealed this EVP. Go to hell. Go to hell indeed, all right. You know, that wasn't the worst EVP I received from Boot Hill. When I was visiting the OK Corral fellas, the McClaries, Tom and Frank, and Billy Clanton, one of the EVPs I received was a hearty fuck you. Yeah, mm-hmm. At one point, I walked past several unknowns, and that's what I say. I'm saying several unknowns here in the area, and I get a sad EVP of a man whispering, I know. I mean, how sad is that? Buried identity unknown forever your name is a secret and right next to where the bisbee five men are buried 
I get an EVP of a man saying, pull them up, boys, pull them up. I can't help but wonder if this has something to do with retrieving the condemned men's bodies. Later on, I'm doing an EVP session with Joseph Wetzel, a man who was stoned to death by Apaches. A loud thump sound is recorded, going unheard by me. Then, quickly after that, my recorder caught something amazing. It sounded like several people chanting and drums in the background as well. That's the actual EVP. Just kidding. But it was amazing to get this evidence. I got tons of other EVPs during my visit here, and I'm really looking forward to seeing what I will get this time around. I just pray that I don't get another attachment. For the love of all things holy, not another attachment. If you want to know more about my Boot Hill experience, hit me up. Or you can check out my book, Paranormal Prowlers. I'm always with you as all my tombstone investigations are there. And if you've ever been to Boot Hill, what kind of evidence have you gotten? Maybe you went with more than just a recorder. (laughs) I'd love to hear all about it. Feel free to hit me up at Paraprowlers via Twitter or throw an email my way at paranormal.prowlers.podcast at gmail.com. Did you enjoy this week's episode? Yes! Listen to the others, you guys. They're equally awesome. Haven't heard every single one yet? No need to cry, my friends. You can binge listen right now by going to CastBox, Apple Podcast, Podcast Addict, Pocket Cast. Wherever you may roam to listen to your other awesome podcasts, you'll probably find Paranormal Prowlers Podcast. This week's special city shoutouts go to Colony, New York, Brampton, Canada, Waynesville, North Carolina, Humble, Texas, and Breedbury, England. You guys, as usual, are so phenomenal. Thank you for taking time out of your day and listening to me and making me part of yours. From wherever you're at, whatever state, city, country, village, wherever you're at, please know that it means the world to me. Have a nice day. See you next week.